Welcome to episode 9 of Chasing Majors with legendary caddy Steve Williams and myself, golf journalist Evan Priest. In this episode, we'll take you back to the 2005 Open Championship at St Andrews, where Tiger Woods captured his second Claret Jug and 10th Major overall. But more importantly, Tiger made sure that he emerged victorious in Jack Nicklaus's last ever Major Championship. brought to you by Bluebet, a true blue Aussie betting company. All right, Steve, welcome to episode nine of Chasing Majors. And in this episode, we're going to dive into the 2005 Open Championship at the famed St. Andrews Old Course. And I know that's, it's one of your favorites in the world of golf, but we need to start this episode off actually by one of the most important streaks of Tiger's career ended, unfortunately, in May 2005. And that was his PGA Tour Cuts Made streak. Tiger still holds the PGA Tour record for the longest streak of consecutive cuts made, which is 142. He made every cut in the US from the 1998 Buick Invitational at Torrey Pines through to the Wachovia Championship in May 2005, but then he missed the cut at the 2005 Byron Nelson. In your words, how was Tiger able to sustain that consistency while also winning? Yeah, look, that's a, that's a record that he... He holds a lot of records, you know, obviously major wins and that, but he he has created a lot of records uh, on his time playing on the PJ Tour. And it's actually the record that he's most thrilled about. It's what the one he's proudest of is that consecutive cut streak. And look, it's it's a, it's a it's a remarkable achievement, but it just shows you, you know, how deep he can dig. When he's not playing well, he can still make the cut. Um, it's a phenomenal streak, and I don't think it's an, it's one of those records that he holds that it won't get broken. Probably, I mean that that's an amazing, you know, like to make you know thirty cuts in a row is, is a great effort. You know, one hundred and forty-two is unbelievable. But he, uh, <laughs> on that day when he failed to make the cut of that tournament, <laughs> he wasn't a bloke you want to be around for much after that finished. <laughs> he wanted you- that he wanted that streak to reach two hundred. So um, was he pretty annoyed that night? Oh yeah, he was. I mean, look, it's an interesting tournament that one. It was played at two courses there: TPC Los Colinas, um, and then you play across the road at this, this place is in called, the Dallas area, right? Yeah, and the course across the road is, is certainly a course that's probably in today's world doesn't match up to PGA Tour standards. And it was an interesting day. On the very first hole, one of the security guys stepped on Tiger's ball, <laughs> <laughs> so. Um, he had to take a drop, you know, you get um, play or put it back as close to where it was, so forth. And, and um, yeah, that didn't start the day off very well. And it was just look, it was one of those days, and nothing sort of went right and didn't make a lot of putts and had a few flyers and whatever. But you know, like he, he, he tried so hard, it came right to the last hole. He needed to make about a 15 footer, if I recall, to make the cut, and, and he didn't. But uh, yeah, no, he was not a happy camper. When he missed the cut there, and you know, of course, he, he lines up to play every weekend. So, <laughs> <laughs> why why do you think that it's, that streak was so important to him? Well, I mean, it, it, it just 
it's a model of consistency and it just shows you you know that that his scheduling allows him to play well just about every time and it's just look it's you know i think it's just a just an incredible streak that he, he was most proud of and um and just show, you know it shows you how much dedication he's got to the game he just doesn't turn up to play i mean he's, he's, he's going to be there every weekend yeah, so Steve, if we if we fast forward a month, the 2005 US Open, this must have been a special one for you because obviously your countryman, Michael Campbell, was one of the few players who ever fended off Tiger in the hunt at a major to win. But on the other hand, you know, your boss Tiger didn't win. Can you reflect on that week? And I imagine it was almost bittersweet for you. Yeah, look, I mean, I loved it uh, in any tournament anywhere in the world when there was a New Zealand flag on the, on the leaderboard. Um, you know, it was, being a Kiwi, uh, it was a great thrill to see Michael playing well. My, one of my great buddies was caddying for him. And it was, you know, it's ironic that his caddy was actually the one that talked him into playing in the qualifying, you know, to get over to Pinehurst. Well, actually, he was playing poorly at the time leading into the qualifying over in London. And he, he just happened, he lived close to the qualifying course. And his caddy said, well, you live close. Just It's a 36-hole Monday qualifying. Just get out there and give it a go sort of thing. And he did and qualified. You know, it's, it's quite an amazing story. <laughs> so um, had, had his caddy, Mike Waite, not been so, you know, he, you know, just trying to get him to play in the, in the qualifying, he might, you know, might not have even turned up for the tournament. <laughs> but uh, it's a great story, that. And, yeah, um, I have two... Two, two sort of lasting memories from that tournament. And one was um, in the entire time I gave for Tiger on the Sunday, it's the first time up until that point that, that he wasn't on schedule on time. He was clockwork with his timing. And, uh, you know, I was getting a little bit panicky. There's about 50 minutes to his tee off time and he hadn't fronted at the golf course yet. And he's always there like an hour, an hour and five before. Um, and he hadn't, hadn't arrived yet, and I was getting a bit worried. And you know, he, he rolls up there, and he gets out of the car. I said, "Man, I was a little bit worried. What, what's the story? What happened?" He said, "Oh, I was watching this cartoon. I just couldn't get away from it. <laughs> I had to, <laughs> had to see the end of it." It's <laughs> like I, I just, you know, I just, I knew he likes cartoons. Now that that didn't surprise me, but like Sunday at the U.S. Open, you you, you got to watch the end of the cartoon. You can't come back to it. <laughs> <laughs> That's unbelievable. I've never heard that story. Yeah, yeah, it was it was amazing, and it's like. Up until that point, um, it was the only time he was ever sort of late, not late for tee off, but like mm. late for what he would normally arrive at the golf course. And then, yep. um, on the 16th hole on on uh, the final round Sunday, he had a very, very, you know, what I would call a very easy pitch and putt um, to, to make four and, and and keep the pressure on Michael Campbell. And he failed to get up and down. And after the tournament, we spoke about the shot that I thought he selected the wrong club and played the wrong shot um, and whatever. And we, we got into this sort of thing about, you know, what would Ray Floyd use here? Ray, you know, I came for Ray and Ray was an absolute brilliant around the greens chipping with, you know, anything from a four iron to a sand iron, whereas Tiger was pretty much predominantly always using a 56 degree sandwich to chip with, with every shot. So, uh, when he got when he didn't win that tournament, he was pretty you know he was you know likes to win every major he's got a chance and he, he didn't like the fact that he gave away an easy shot there and gave Michael a bit of breathing room anyway. Um, I knew that following that that he would work so hard on that aspect of his game that he'd be a certainty um, at St Andrews because he loves being there and so forth. So I actually put a bet on him at St Andrews. Like the odds weren't very good, but. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I did place a bet on him, and uh, yeah, of course he won the tournament. 
Now, I remember you telling me that he he called that bump and run around the greens the Raymondo. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so he, he, let's do a Raymondo, he would call it. Yeah, because Raymond Floyd, he called him Raymondo. Yeah. Yeah, but... Uh, did, he have, he, did he have any other shots that he sort of nicknamed, you know, the trajectory and the spin and the type of shot? He nicknamed it after another player? Um, no, not really. Just just the chipping. He used to call the, the, the chip and run shots. And it was interesting because he, uh, when I came for Raymond... I got such a great feel of watching him all the time. I'd know exactly what club he was going to choose. And he had a theory um, different to a lot of people that, that he, if the ball was two inches off the green, he'd always chip it. He'd never, ever put the ball off the green because he believed that the ch- there was always a chance that the ball could go offline because the grass is not manicured like the green. And he said, if you chip the ball, you're chipping it over that grass and you'll always get it to roll how you want it to roll. It's an interesting theory, but he chipped more balls in than any other player uh, that I'd care for you know, around the greens, just like like chip and run shots. Uh, he was phenomenal. Tiger actually waited for Michael Campbell um, to finish his round and to come up and say congratulations to him. Why do you think he did that? He, he didn't do that very often. Yeah, he, he um, had a respect for, you know, I mean, of course, I'm a Kiwi. Michael's a Kiwi and that. Um, I think there's just a little bit of the, you know, the Kiwi thing there. And um, Tiger was also a little bit friendly with Michael's caddy as well. So, um, yeah, it was, it was really good. It's a nice gesture. It was a very nice gesture. Yeah. And, and, and Michael played well. I mean, it's not like Tiger fell, fell off the planet, you know, played poorly. This guy went out and beat Tiger. Um, it would have been sensational had they been playing in the same group on Sunday um that's a whole different kettle of fish he was playing in front but um it was a fantastic effort i mean you know that i made a comment at the time uh, that i thought was um one of the greatest if not greatest sporting achievements by new zealand and i wasn't taking anything away from bob charles when he won the open championship in 63 but the competition from 63 to now given that a lot of the american pros didn't venture over the open championship just the way the travel situation was back in the 60s. So it was a remarkable effort for Michael to win the US Open. Yeah, Steve, I think it, I think it was yourself that said it. I, I noticed this in my research. You said it was one of the most important sporting achievements in the history of New Zealand because it was a Maori winning a global championship in the world of golf. Individual sport, very hard to get access to it. And uh, and, and he did that. And that's not to take away from Sir Bob Charles's win at the 1963 British Open. But this, this was pretty special. Yeah, you know, it was... A, a huge moment for New Zealand sport. And, and consequently, you know, just like when Tiger hit the scene, you know, the juniors, the amount of juniors getting interested in golf, and, and it was exactly the same back here in New Zealand with Michael winning the, U, the US Open, the coverage that got and everything. Golf, you know, hit, hit the boom. So it was an awesome for that respect. Chasing majors is made possible by our friends over at Bluebet. Bluebet is the true blue Aussie betting company which offers plenty of markets in professional golf. Bet on your favourite golfers on various tours around the world, including every tournament on the US PGA Tour, both pre-tournament and in-play bets like first round leaders and three ball betting. There'll also be plenty of markets for the majors starting with the upcoming Masters in April. One of my favourite bets on the Bluebet app is Tiger to win a major in 2022 and I think we'd all love to see him make another comeback. So head over to bluebet.com.au or download the Bluebet app from the iPhone or Android app stores and gamble responsibly. So Steve, you, you placed a bet on Tiger. Was was it was it a decent bet or was it just one that you, you sort of were really confident about knowing how hard he was going to work on that shot? Yeah, look, I mean, <laughs> I, I just, 
sometimes you get a feeling that sometimes uh, in defeat, victory will be right around the corner because a, a simple mistake and an easy shot like that, that he should have got up and down and put pressure on Michael. I knew that he'd go away from that and he would work incredibly hard to make sure that when he got to St. Andrews, he had the chip and run shot because you need it more at St. Andrews. Um, you're not using a lofted club there because it gets windy and you've got all the humps and mounds that you've got to put the ball on the ground at St. Andrews. So he worked incredibly hard on that and I just thought I, I know when he works incredibly hard and he loves St Andrews that, that you know I'm not a gambler or anything but I thought it'd be a good good place to uh, have a bit and get a bit of just get a bit of spare, spare, spare cash <laughs> <laughs> I only ever had one other bet in the entire time I caddied and it was actually for Ian Baker Finch when he won the Open because right before the Open uh, they had a thing called the CVS Charity Classic up in Rhode Island that Brad Faxon run uh, and Finchy putted unbelievable in this event. Just like, <laughs> un, just un, it was on the pre- preceding, like, you know, say the Saturday, or no, the Monday and Tuesday of the week before. I can't remember. It was the last event he played before he went overseas to play in the Open. And he putted some kind of incredible. And it's not, generally, it's not something you're going to lose overnight. So that's the only, so I had a bet on Finchy and he won the Open. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's the only so two be- bets I've ever had. You bet on two two successful open winners. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that that that's fantastic. So, what about Tiger's results in the lead up to the Open at St Andrews? We just discussed the the second at the US Open just before that, third at the Memorial Tournament, which he seemed to win quite often. Could you sense that something special was coming? Yeah, no. Once again, he he was he had an incredible knack there for a little bit of getting himself, you know, up for the major championships and peaking for those major championships. And everyone, everything was trending in the right direction. He was getting a better and better understanding with Hank Haney of all the swing dynamics and stuff and um, hitting more and more good shots. So, you know, you just, when you come across to St. Andrews and that, and, you know, everybody loves it there. I think Tiger, as much as anybody, just absolutely loved competing there and being there and all what it meant to play in the Open Championship there. So it just everything was pointing in the right direction and I was very confident that he that he would put himself in position that week, which he did. By this stage, Tiger swinging the golf club so well, could, could you almost sense that, like, what, what was your opinion? Was he swinging it better under Hank at this time or better sort of during 2000 under Butch Harmon, his previous coach? Yeah, I mean, look, that's, that's always a hard one to answer. Um, statistically, um, from the statistics that I kept, things were pretty much the same. The putting was pretty much the same. The amount of fairways hit was pretty much the same. So there wasn't a lot of difference statistically. Um, I, th- I think he started to get a little bit more confident under the gun. Um, that's kind of an unusual thing to say. Well, this guy's incredibly confident. But I think he had more in the back of his head. He was more assertive that he wasn't going to make a poor swing um, with Hank's coaching. Um, but look, you know, his record under both of them was remarkable. Um, but, you know, I think, like I said, under the most intense pressure, I think he felt that he was more confident that he was not going to make a poor swing um, with Hank's swing. Chasing Majors is proud to partner with X-Blades, who have been internationally renowned for decades for producing world-class football boots and performance apparel for athletes across rugby union, rugby league, Aussie rules and netball. The team at X-Blades are passionate about grassroots and community sport, and that's why they're about to bring their credentials to golf with an exciting golf apparel range launching this year. Watch this space and keep listening to Chasing Majors. 
Now, besides Tiger working on the Ray Mondo <laughs> chip <laughs> shot bump and run, what are your memories of his his prep right before the British Open and also the the practice rounds at the British Open at St Andrews in two thousand and five? Yeah, no, he. Uh, it was evident when he got to St Andrews. You know, the the, the lead up tournaments, you know, the Western Open, that he, he played very well, and that and he and he was in a good frame of mind. And then the practice rounds were very, very good. Um, he had very good ball control um, with the wind. You know, the the firm fairways, and you've got to keep it low. And it was relatively, um, as opposed to two thousand, where it was reasonably calm. It was quite windy. Uh, this this championship and that and that's you know makes the course extremely testing and he had you know he had great control of his ball flight the low shot and the, and the the bump and run shot so you know he was the practice rounds went you know went very well and he was putting decent too he spent you know he spends a lot of time when he goes to the Open Championship adjusting to the speed of the greens because they're somewhat slower but you, you know you can make a lot of putts on those greens and um, you know he was in, he was in good. And, and good when he stood on that first tee on Thursday, you know, I, I felt that you know he's going to have a good week here. Now, ap- apologies for a bit of a long-winded question here, but St Andrews is a not only does it have arguably the best golf course ever made, it's also a, it's a very cool town, isn't it? It's a, it's a college town. It's got a university there. There's a very good atmosphere in, in and amongst the town. There's some great Scottish pubs. Um, St Andrews has a, has a storied history of caddies, and you know, there are a couple of caddy pubs in and amongst the town. Were you able to get out? and enjoy yourself and maybe have a couple of beers with some of the other caddies that week? Or was it kind of lockdown mode with you and Team Tiger at the house and just sort of uh, business as usual, approaching this as another major to win? Yeah, no, we we were we played in these major championships. It was, you know, it, it was, you know, you go back to the house and it's difficult when you're, and you're in, in a big city uh, in a big atmosphere like that, and you, you try and go into a pub, and that you know it's it's hard to actually sit down and just have a quiet beer without somebody <laughs> having their opinion on what Tiger's going to do and what he's not going to do, and you know, come on, Monty, and <laughs> but uh, no, we we would just go back to the house, and uh, you know, it was those were important. They are well, they are important weeks. He treated them importantly, and um, you know, we we had our own routine. Anything about the game plan that you might have noticed in walking the, the course as you did at the crack of dawn every morning that week and that you presented to Tiger on maybe the Monday or the Tuesday of that week? Oh, no, we, you know, we, we, we had a great understanding of, you know, we played there in 2000 and then had a great understanding of the course. And, that, and you know, the, we, we, the course conditions were very similar to what you know, it was then. The, the fairways were firm, the greens were the same space. So, no, we, we, we had a good setup right from the get-go. Excellent. So round, well, let's get into round one, Steve. And Tiger cruises to a nice 66 to take the first round lead at six under par. But I want to talk about something else that day. You and Tiger were on the 14th hole at exactly noon on Thursday when play was halted for two minutes in memory of the victims of the July 7 terrorist bombings in London. And Tiger revealed later that his mother, had, Kaltita, had actually been in London on July 7, staying in a hotel across the street from one of the deadly explosions. And he said at the time... I was very thankful that my mum is still here. I can only imagine what it was like for everyone else who was involved, whether they lost a loved one or had loved ones hurt. So it was a pretty somber moment, and I believe the entire championship was asked to pause for a moment of, a moment of silence at noon. Can you remember that and sort of how somber that moment was? Yeah, I mean, it was probably... Um, you know, it was a moment that had never, ever happened on a golf course where we had a two-minute silence that everybody... But um, I, I, it was a, what a great gesture. I mean, everybody was 
you know, thought that was an awesome gesture to remember all those people that sadly lost their lives in that. And so what a, what a great place to do it. It's an iconic event, has a massive amount of people watching, and it was a great it was a great moment. And, you know, everyone respected it. And, they, you know, there's no problem. It's just everybody knew they made all the players and everybody aware of what was happening it was up on the scoreboard. So, all the you know, the fans knew. So everyone was, you know, nobody disobeyed what was their, their intentions. It was great. So Steve, Tiger shoots a 67 on Friday to stretch his lead to four shots. But again, I want to talk about something else. And it was, I want to talk about the guy that Tiger was chasing overall in his career. And that is Jack Nicholas. So this is, this is, this is sad because this is the last major, not just open championship, but the last major that Jack Nicholas would ever play in. 50,000 people turned out to say goodbye to Jack, to the great golden bear on Friday, because, you know, he, he was, it was clear that he was going to miss the cut. Can you reflect on your relationship with Jack Nicholas throughout the years? I know that you knew him pretty well. And also, how did that relationship sort of change and, and, and um, grow once that you started to, uh, caddying for Tiger? Yeah, I mean, at firstly, you know, it was, what a great place for Jack to go out at St. Andrews. I mean, you know, no better place. He, he loved that place, I think, more just like Tiger did. Uh, I think Jack loved that. I believe it was his favourite course, and he loved playing there um, immensely. And it was a fantastic place for him to bow out in major championship golf but yeah I was quite fortunate like in, I, I probably mentioned earlier in one of these podcasts that in my days when I first got, started caring for Greg Norman Greg was incredibly um, fond of Jack Nicholas and, and Nicholas took Greg under his wing a little bit when he first came to America and started playing on the PJ Tour so I got to know Jack fairly well um, and he was a great bloke to ask questions and I think the, the reason why I got on good with him because I asked a lot of questions, and he, he 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 didn't mind me asking questions because you know he probably thought that was good. This guy's trying to, you know, I was young and trying to learn and that. And then actually, uh, I don't quite recall how it played out. But my brother came from a couple of times when he came to Australia. So when Jack came to Australia a couple of times, my Is brother. That right? came. Yeah, so my brother came for a little bit, and he came for Jack, and you know, so that got us a little bit closer as well, and. Um, yeah, and then of course I came for Ray and Ray and Jack were friends too. They lived in the same part of Florida, so you know it just happened to strike up a good relationship with Jack. But it was, it was really beneficial because I, I loved asking him a little, you know, about the game, about how you play different things, and you know when we played practice rounds, and you know I'd really ask him a lot of questions that invaluable, you know, to get some knowledge from someone like him. So very fortunate there. Was that was that Friday almost a little bit emotional for you as well? Yeah, I mean, look, you know, it, you know, everybody that played the game or, or was involved in the game just loved Jack Nicklaus. I mean, how, how could you not? You know, his record and what he achieved and everything, it was unbelievable. So it was just amazing that, you know, that having, knowing that he was going to retire there and Tiger had won each major championship that he'd played his last in. So it was a pretty good um Good feeling now that he was he's going to retire there. So he's going to have with Tiger having won three of his three majors at, at the previous majors that he played as the last one in. Um, it was pretty yeah. special. And and how would you describe Tiger and, and Jack's relationship over the years? Um, it, it was different, wasn't it? That they weren't super close, but there was a huge amount of respect between them. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, they, they weren't close, no, that, and but the respect was amazing. And, and Tiger was absolutely in awe of Jack's record and, and he knew every stat that Jack had which was amazing he could tell you how many majors won we all knew that how many seconds he'd have how many thirds he'd have how many top tens he'd had how many cuts he'd missed 
I mean, he knew every statistic on Jack. So, you know, Tiger grew up comparing himself to Jack. That's what he wanted to do. And he, and he had all the statistics. But he, he, he felt that his major accomplishment, not just the 18 majors that he won, but the amount of seconds and top tens and, and top threes he had was just unbelievable. And he was well aware of those stats. And, and he, he was so respectful uh, of Jack's accomplishments in the major championships. So, Steve, we move on to Saturday's third round, and Tiger is paired with Colin Montgomery, a home favourite who's, you know, from Scotland. And can you reflect on Tiger and, and, and Monty's relationship over the years? Because they had a very funny rivalry, which sort of got off to a bad foot in the beginning of Tiger's career at the 1997 Masters when Monty sort of tried to put the mocker on Tiger and, and tried to throw some pressure on him, and Tiger went out and beat his ass on the Saturday of the, of, the, of the 1997 Masters, and Monty knew never to do that again. But they had some really good battles over the stretch, didn't they, over the course of their careers? Yeah, I mean, there's certain players that you take a lot of pride in playing with and a lot of pride in beating. And I think Monty <laughs> was one of those guys that Tiger loved to play with him, but he also loved to beat him. Um, you know, he, he had an unprecedented run as a European Tour leading money winner. And, and it was I think it was one of those things that was like a bit of a feather in your cap when you could play with Monty in Europe and beat Monty in Europe. Um, and, of course, when you play with Monty, um, there's always a sense of there's something could could happen out in the court. He had a you know, <laughs> he had the ability to flare up with the crowd sometimes, and that so there's there's always a sort of an anticipation that something might happen when you're playing with Monty because you know there's always going to be all that extra you know stuff that's surrounding the group as far as the media and TV goes and so forth and that so and, and that can distract Monty he can get quite distracted. So I you know we look forward to playing with Monty. It's one of those things, you knew something was going to happen, you just didn't know what was going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Uh, so during that third round, Tiger hits two tee shots into gorse bushes and he has to uh, take unplayable lies. And the galleries were sort of almost cheering when Tiger hit it offline that day. Can you remember that? It was almost a bit of an anti-Tiger crowd. They were trying to hoist Monty up onto their shoulders and get a Scotsman over the line. But um, can you remember the crowds that day? Yeah, look, I mean, you know, not often you would play in a, in a major championship and you've got more people, um, you know, back in the other player and that. But, yeah, hey, Monty, you know, they, they were just, they were desperate for Monty to win a major championship. I mean, he had, an, like I said, an unprecedented run as the European number one. And, he, you know, he desperately wanted a major. He'd had a couple of opportunities. And, you know, certainly Tiger was didn't want to be the one that let Monty win his first major championship. He didn't mind if he wanted to win one, but he didn't want to win him, <laughs> want him to win one when he was involved in the, in the battle. So... Um, yeah, the crowd was, uh, was it was it was it was a great atmosphere. I mean, he's a Scotsman, and then the 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 um, yeah the crowd was enthusiastic. It was pretty pretty awesome, really. And yeah, and look, Tiger thrives on that sort of stuff too. Don't get me wrong. I mean, he 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 likes that kind of thing. You know, all of a sudden he becomes sort of the underdog, if you like. Although he's not the underdog as far as his record goes. But I mean, you know, he, he when you're playing in Scotland with the one of the greatest Scottish players ever to live. Um, there's it, an element of extra desire here. So it was probably a good thing. Now, I'm going to put you on the spot here and I want to talk about one shot and I, and I hope that you remember it pretty well. It was the tee shot on the 18th hole on that Saturday. Tiger hit a three with 357 yards to pin high, but sort of 40 yards left of the pin just off the green. Can you remember that shot and the discussion leading up to that tee shot? Yeah, if I recall, it was pretty much dead downwind. Um, so you can't yep. hit the ball... 
you know, you, you, it's with the driver. If it got an unusual bounce off the bottom of you know, one of those downslopes, you could hit it out of bounds there behind the green um, very easily. So there was a lot of discussion about hitting a two iron or a three wood, and then Tiger elected to hit the three wood, and he said, "Oh, just you know, play left." So you had a lot more room left, and you haven't got some of those severe slopes that the ball could land on the downside of it and accelerate quickly. So uh, he played the hole very well, uh, you know. Pitched it way out left there, and, um, and I, I believe he birdied the last hole. Um, which you know, when you go to bed on a Saturday and you birdie the last hole to extend your lead, whether it's one shot, two shots, whatever it might be, you, you always feel pretty good about that. Especially because that allowed him to shoot a seventy-one and, uh, and and take the fifty-four hole lead at twelve under par, two shots ahead of his really good friend Jose Maria Olathabal. And I, I just want to ask. What is the most difficult hole to caddy at the Open at St Andrews, especially for Tiger? Yeah, I mean, look, it, 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 it depends on the wind. Um, you know, the, the, that, that's what it really depends on. The, the 14th hole, the par 5 there, is a very, very, very difficult hole uh, when the wind's blowing out of the left. And, you, you know, you've got to know where all those bunkers are and you've got to have great layup numbers. And, and you know, you can play... You can get yourself into a position there where you need to play out in the other fairway. Um, that, that's on a left to right wind when you're coming home, and it's a left to right wind. That is the most demanding hole in the golf course. And it's very easy to hit it out of bounds there, and it's very easy to hit it, you know, way left and get out of play in one of the other bunkers down the other hole. So that's a great hole. In its 51st year of publication, Australian Golf Digest is the oldest golf media brand in Australia, reaching over 850,000 golfers every month. Australian Golf Digest provides the best written and video news in golf, both locally and internationally. Golf fans can get full access to the magazine through the digital pass, which starts from just $3.33 per month and also includes instruction, golf course and golf travel content. Head over to australiangolfdigest.com.au or check them out on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. So, so we've got Jose at 10 under par, 2 behind Tiger. We've got Retief Goosen and Monty at 9 under par. And if we move on to round four, Steve, I want to ask you about a moment on the first tee. Jose Maria was making a couple of practice swings and Tiger just sort of stared down the first fairway and he almost looked like he was in a meditative state. And his coach, Hank Haney, used to say, when Tiger does that concentration stare, it's like a trance. If you walk by him then, he wouldn't even know it. What was it like? And, and can you recall those moments when Tiger would almost put himself into a trance and focus on the task at hand? Yeah, he, look, he, he had this... Um sort of time where he would just, you know, he would be, I, I don't know what he was thinking, but, you know, he, he'd go into a sort of a trance-like state and he would just be focusing, you know, it was right before he'd play and he would just be focusing so hard on what, what's ahead, what he's got to do um, and, and just making it clear to himself um, what the day was going to involve in that. Yeah, I mean, like like Hank would say, you, you walk right past him or say say something, he would just be in a trance-like state. Um, but um, it's just, you know, another one of the things that he did that was different to a number of players, for sure. Now, this leaderboard um, for the final round, it, it had a lot of promise, a lot of massive stars. And you've said this before yourself, the old course at St. Andrews seems to, to bring the cream to the top. The cream always rises at St. Andrews. We've got Jose Maria in contention. Retief Goosen, Colin Montgomery, Brad Faxon, Sergio Garcia, Michael Campbell, your good mate who's just won the US Open, Vijay Singh, Tim Clark, Darren Clark, and John Daly, the, the 1995 Open champion at St. Andrews. Um, 
what what is it about St Andrews that you think seems to allow the cream to rise? Yeah, well, I mean, it's a golf course that you've really got to have a great understanding of how to play. So, you know, the wind is a big factor there, and of course, it can you, you know you, you've got to change your strategy depending on which way the wind blowing and 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 so forth. So, you just I think it's a course you need to have a lot of experience on. So you'll generally find, you know, all those guys that have played, you know, you don't get many guys that play there for the first time and get themselves up in, in contention. You need to play there a few times to completely understand the golf course. And all those names that you've just read out, they're all veteran players of, of some description with a great knowledge of the golf course. And look, it's just, I think the, the, the older generation players, a place like Sanders inspires them. Uh, I don't think probably today a lot, a lot of the young guys, you know, just a golf course is a golf course sort of thing. A lot of young guys don't have the same understanding of the history of the game, whereas a lot of the older guys uh, tend to have more understanding of the history of the game. And it's more, you know, it's sort of they thrive on it and just they, it's just they rise to the occasion at a place like this. Before we get into the action of the final round, there is one name out of that list I want to ask you about. John Daly. 1995 Open champion, like I just mentioned, at St Andrews. This is 10 years later, and he's he's got himself into the mix once again. He had a he had a funny relationship with Tiger, didn't he? Tiger respected the hell out of his talent, but just couldn't understand why someone that gifted wouldn't work as hard as Tiger did. Do you have a, Do you have a favourite story or two about John Daly and Tiger Woods? <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, look, no, no, no sort of particular, you know, funny story. You know, like Tiger just, you know, he was amused, I guess, that this guy was as gifted a player, and he is a phenomenal player, and just an amazing talent that what, you know, it's just if he had the same work ethic as someone like Vijay Singh or Bernard Langer or Tiger himself, there's no telling how good this guy could be. But, I mean, yeah, everybody to their own. Yeah, I, and it was just, he is an amazing, I'm, I'm so glad that golf has John Daly and that he wasn't, you know, a baseballer or something like that because he, he really he really improved our game. Now, I want to ask, Tiger's playing with Jose Maria, a really good friend of Tiger's, and Tiger was famous for putting the, you know, like the, the steely glaze on, on during final rounds and he would barely talk to the bloke uh, at all if he was in contention in a major. But did that change when, when it was a really good friend? Yeah, like, he had a great respect for... Ollie, and he loved playing with him and like he actually was one of those guys that Tiger would ask him a few things because he had an amazing short game himself and, and an amazing bunker player but you know when he played with uh, someone like that that you have a huge amount of respect for um, there's going to be a little bit more conversation and and you know there's going to be no sort of gamesmanship as well like you know all all the top players and that have some kind of gamesmanship at some point and that when they're trying to win these major championships, there'll be none of that with a guy like Tiger considered him the ultimate pro uh, and he would treat him with the ultimate respect for that. So, um, yeah, and, you know, there's a bit more banter. Uh, but like when Tiger's typically playing with somebody that he's not familiar with or not particularly close with, um, there's not going to be a lot of banter. And, and so if he was paired with someone who he was happy to give the silent treatment, can you describe just for the listeners what, what that silent, treat, silent treatment looks like from a caddy's perspective and, and how, how was it obvious that Tiger was distancing himself from a playing partner in contention at a major? Yeah, well, I mean, look, I mean, you, you get on the first tee and it's, you know, good luck today. You know, I'm playing this kind of ball and da-da-da-da and you know, <laughs> have a good day in that and then you just go about your business and... 
you know, the, the, the silent treatment is with that, you know, you, you'd be walking either ahead or behind that bloke and there wouldn't be a lot of conversation. You just keep yourself in that. And, yeah, there's a bit of an intimidation factor in that as well, obviously. But, um, yeah, a lot of times, like, when you're playing in these major championships, you, you just you, you don't want to get distracted um, and you don't you don't want to get anybody into, you know, letting you get, get your mind away from what you're thinking. So you just stay in your own world, walk at your own pace and, and, and take it all in yourself. Well, he loved Jose Maria, so it was it was a nice pairing, wasn't it? So, um, and and Steve on on the tenth hole, par, Tiger missed a par putt, and he kind of laughed about it. It's probably the most he's ever laughed at at a missed par putt while in contention at a major. And he did like an Arnold Palmer kind of goofy footed stance, putting stance impersonation. Can you remember that moment? Yeah, look, I mean, he just he was just mystified that he could possibly read a putt, a misread a putt that poorly from that close. <laughs> um, and, you know, I think yeah, that was sort of an, an Arnold Palmer impersonation, but I, I think he was like, um, that was a cartoon character. I forget which cartoon character. That oh, was right. one, one of the characters of the car, one of the cartoon shows you watched that he was just doing an impersonation of that cartoon character. But <laughs> he was just, you know, he just couldn't believe that from that short a distance that he could misread a putt that badly because, you know, obviously being a good putter, you've got to be a great green reader. And that was like as bad a read as he'd ever had. And, and he saw the bright side of that. He, he just completely laughed, which is good. You know, that, that it was a, you know, it was an important putt and, and he missed, but, you know, he, he went right back to the next hole and, and had a great shot. And, but that was clearly got that out of his way. Yeah, clearly he, he was really in control of his emotions. So, but that bogey actually allowed Monty, who was, who was playing in another group, to get one within one shot of Tiger. Um, but that was kind of, Mon- Monty coming within one of Tiger was kind of the best of anyone's charge that day. No one really threatened the leaderboard. No one, no one really threatened Tiger that day, despite the names I read out to you before. Why do you think that was? Yeah, look, it's a great question that, I mean, you know, Tiger didn't, you know, exactly set the world on fire on that final round that, but he just did what he had to do and didn't make any major mistakes. But, um, you know, I think, it became apparent, you know, when Nicholas was in contention, you know, if he, if, if he, he got his name on the top of that leaderboard, there was just some, there's something about it. And I think Tiger was somewhat getting to that stage now when he got on top of the board there, the guys know that he's not going to make a mistake. Um, and I, I, look, it's, it's hard to actually quantify the answer in that. But I mean, you know, you get a guy like him, you, you put his name on the top of the leaderboard, he's in the final group, you know he's not going to make a mistake. And you know he can, you know, like with his length, there's, you know, a few holes that he can knock on the green. So, you know, the chances are, you know, when he's whatever score he is, he's going to shoot, you know, some kind of score. You, you get an idea of what he'd be able to do out there. And it makes it difficult to challenge. But you know, that was a quite an interesting day, that, because no one, considering the amount of talent that was on that leaderboard, and no one actually made a great run at him, which was, you know, it would have been, it would have been great if it came down to the last hole, 17, 18 of Monty and, Tiger were tied. Now that would have been some kind of battle. <laughs> oh, yeah, it would have been incredible. I suppose what didn't make it easy for those competitors was was that Tiger hit twelve of sixteen fairways that day. Was that the key that sort of allowed him to get four shots up with six holes to play? Yeah, look, he, 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 you know, even though he had a couple of unplayables on Saturday, but you know, just the wind and the bounce and so forth. But he he was swinging good, uh, and he, he he was in complete control. And that even though. He missed a few putts that he uncharacteristically wouldn't think that he would normally miss. Uh, he knew that he was swinging very, very well. In fact, 
I think he alluded to, he, he believed that his warm-up session uh, on the Sunday prior to going out to play that final round was his best ever. Um, he, you know, he, he, sometimes he can have a practice session that is actually almost like a clinic. And, he, you know, he starts hitting all these different shots and then he just gets right into it. And that was one of those ones that was like a clinic. He was, he, you know, he, he he was starting the ball wherever he wanted to and, and putting it up and ending it up wherever he wanted to. So he knew, even though he missed a few short parts, that he was swinging absolutely fantastic and he had all the shots. So he, he knew that he'd have plenty of birdie opportunities coming home. In its 51st year of publication, Australian Golf Digest is the oldest golf media brand in Australia, reaching over 850,000 golfers every month. Australian Golf Digest provides the best written and video news in golf, both locally and internationally. Golf fans can get full access to the magazine through the Digital Pass, which starts from just $3.33 per month and also includes instruction, golf course and golf travel content. Head over to australiangolfdigest.com.au or check them out on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. Tiger shoots 70 to finish at 14 under par, beating Monty by 5 shots and Jose Maria and Freddie Couples were tied 3rd. Tiger wins his 10th major and 2nd Open Championship at St Andrews. How special was that for you to do it twice, considering you told yourself when Nick Faldo won at St. Andrews in 1990 with Fanny Sunnison, your good friend on the bag, that you wanted to do that one day. So how special was it for you to now have caddy for two open wins at St. Andrews? Yeah. Oh, look, I mean, when you come up that 18th hole, and, and fortunately the two times that caddying for Tiger, when we've come up that 18th hole, um, the result is already, you know, it's, it's the tournament's in the bag, if you like. And that is a massive atmosphere to soak up. There is no better walk in golf, but but no better walk when you know that you know you're not still under the pump sort of thing. So, as far as battling for the tournament, so you know with a considerably healthy lead coming up there, um, there it's just an unbelievable feeling to do that. I mean, sometimes you just you know you, you want it to go on and on. It's just you know it is amazing. Um, there's no place like it um, as far as the crowds there and that. So to have that opportunity twice is um, and, and, you know, it's, it's very special when you look back at it. Those two walks, the 2000 Open at St. Andrews and the 2005 Open, um, it, are the memories for you still still clear as day walking up that 18th hole? Yeah, well, actually, um, my wife was there in 2005, so that kind of made it a little bit more special because she didn't come to a lot of tournaments and that, and that, that you know, to take her to St. Andrews and that, so I was pretty pumped about that. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. So she got she yeah. got to see you walking up the 18th hole doing a victory lap. Yeah, yeah. So um, no, it's, look, it's 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 a remarkable place, and um, it's 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 you know, like a, heading into that week. Like I said, I just knew Tiger was going to have a good week based simply on the fact that he he felt like he gave one away uh, at Pinehurst, or, or put it this way, didn't give it away, but didn't give it his best shot in challenging Michael Campbell, and that you know was a catalyst for him to work even harder on that particular part of his game. What and, and uh, he only had one three putt. Uh, at, at that week and, and that's a remarkable effort when you th- consider the length of putts that you get at, at St Andrews and so forth so you know that was the loss at, at um, Pinehurst um, was a big part in the victory at St Andrews I believe. How impressive is one three putt all week at St Andrews it, every time he won at St Andrews he seemed to do something impressive in 2000 it was he didn't put it in a fairway bunker the whole time in 2005 there was only one three putt how impressive is that stat in 2005 for you? Yeah, because look, you know, you, you get some massively long putts at San, and as you know, with all the double greens there, and you know, like his, his touch, and, and that's 
when we played the practice rounds there that week, uh, we had a little game going that um, we would take two balls and I would throw them uh, at any given spot around the green and he'd have to putt and get both of them up and down in two from, you know, it could be 40 feet, could be 120 feet, it could be all different situations and that. So he was constantly hitting long putts every, uh, every hole in practice and that becomes a very good barometer for getting your feel to get the ball to the pin high on all your putts now so he, he putted great it was a, you know it was a memorable week and and did you actually get to celebrate that night especially given that your wife was there and and, and did you get to soak this one up yeah yeah we did uh, my wife and i stayed in, in st andrews on the sunday night and that and went to a restaurant there so that was a little bit unique as yeah that was really good it was a, yeah, it's a special place because you, you don't know if you're going to come back and you don't know what's around the corner it's only there every sort of five years so you know you don't know what's around the corner but um yeah fantastic achievement there for tiger i mean he got this 10th major championship and he's still in his 20s so, I mean, that's, <laughs> yeah. that's you know when you, you when you stand back and you think this is a guy that's not turned 30 yet and he's got 10 major championship it's um yeah it's pretty amazing so 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 what you're talking about his his 30th birthday is about six months from now it's, it's on the, it's in December 2005 he hasn't turned 30 yet and now now two stats I want, I want to bring up and get your reaction to them because they're both related to Jack Nicholas so Tiger completed the career Grand Slam winning all four majors in his career at the 2000 open he now completes his second lap of that so the second career Grand Slam at the old course at St Andrews only two players have won all four majors in their career at least twice. Jack and Tiger. Does that give you chills down your spine when you hear that? Oh, yeah. You know, like, I mean, when you know that Tiger knew every record that Jack did and knew everything that he wanted to do, you know, it was just Jack versus Tiger, Tiger versus Jack, Jack versus Tiger. That's all he thought about. Uh, and it was just amazing to think that, you know, he captured his second time round of winning all two all major championships twice at St. Andrews. Um, you know, it's, it is pretty chilling. Now, Steve, this is my favorite golf stat of all time, and, and you mentioned it just before early in the podcast. Tiger won all four of Jack's final majors, or I should say five, actually, and I'll get to that. Tiger won the 2000 US Open at Pebble Beach, Jack's last US Open, the 2000 PGA at Valhalla, his last PGA. They're actually paired together for the first two rounds. The 2005 Masters, his final Masters. Jack retired from the Open in 2000, and Tiger won that, but then Jack decided to keep playing, and so he retired again from the majors, the 2005 Open this week. How special is that? And is that almost a coincidence or was Tiger extra motivated on those five occasions? Absolutely extra motivated. I mean, there's no two ways about it because he, he, he just, he thrives on that sort of stuff. And, and there's not that he needs extra motivations because he just thrives from playing in his major championship. But to have that little spe special extra thing, knowing that Jack's going to be playing in his final major championship, um, absolutely. He thrived on that. And, it was, and as we talked about he played with them at Valhalla which was very very special but um this time around knowing it was his final major championship um it's almost like he's passing the torch over to Tiger yeah well said now now this was on I'm um, staying on Jack for a little bit here the uh the Royal Bank of Scotland made a five pound note with Jack Nicholas on it and that's that's so special for not only a foreigner but for a golfer to be on their note did you manage to get your hands on one of them well, I got one and I got Jack to sign it too. So that, <laughs> Did you really? <laughs> that's sitting in my safe. I'm thinking that might be worth more than five pounds in a few years. <laughs> and not no, just inflation either. 
Yeah, no, I did. Um, I was very fortunate to be able to get one of those, and and um, I, at the next time I saw Jack, I got him to sign it. So it, it's a great bit of um, memorabilia, and it's not something you'd ever let go either. But that was a a wonderful gesture of the Royal Bank of Scotland to do something like that. Yeah, it was fantastic. And and one thing I do want to ask you about, you alluded to it earlier. After the US Open at Pinehurst, you place a bet on Tiger knowing that he's going to be that fired up from finishing second. He's going to win the Open. What did you do with your winnings from the Open from Tiger? <laughs> <laughs> I gave it to my wife to go shopping. What would you do? <laughs> That's a true story. <laughs> That's awesome. So she had a shopping spree on you. Is that right? correct yeah oh that's fantastic well steve i really enjoyed that and uh and i can't wait to get into it into the next episode which will of course will be the 2006 open championship one of my favorite majors that's ever ever been played so thanks for joining me at chasing majors thanks evan see you next week Chasing Majors is proudly brought to you by Bluebet, a true blue Aussie betting company.